Let's bow, and you can turn to 2 Corinthians 6, 17. We'll begin there. Father, we thank you. Lord, as we come today, we thank you for baptism. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you give us clarity of mind, articulation of speech, and boldness of spirit to speak your word as your oracle. Father, we thank you that as we sit in the pews, we thank you that you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of the word as your sheep and recipients of the word and doers of the word. Father, we thank you that we're changed thereby, that we renew our mind, that we're able to do that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we come to you now. We ask that you bless this time. Be with us. Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds. Change our lives. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, I want to turn. My, my sermon this morning is called Baptism, Coming Out of the Closet. You hear that term a lot, coming out. You know, you got your debutantes, and they have their coming out parties. They're 16 years old, and, and they're basically saying, I... I'm going to enter into society, and I'm ready to date, and, and, and whatever. And, and then the gay, he, he comes out of the closet. And that's not a good thing. I, I just assumed they'd stay in the closet. But anyway, uh, but you know, that not, you say, don't you love gay people? Yes, I do. I love them enough to tell them the truth, that the, what the Bible says. Let me say it again. I love them enough to tell them the truth. And I'm not trying to slight anyone. But, you know, that lifestyle is not a lifestyle, it's a death style. And there's nothing gay about it. When you look at the statistics, uh, they, they die generally 20-some years younger than the average person. They generally have a, a greater propensity for illness, far greater, far greater propensity for mental illness, far greater propensity for domestic abuse, far greater propensity for uh, child molestation, far greater propensity for unhappiness and depression, violence, and you name it. It is not a lifestyle. It is a death style. There is a death sentence put upon it in Leviticus where it says, he who lies with another man, it is an abomination and he shall be put to death. Now, we don't carry that out physically now, but that death sentence is spoken over that lifestyle by the God of the universe. And there may not be a henchman. There may not be an electric chair. There may not be a firing squad, but there is a spirit of death that follows around that lifestyle, and it brings sickness, it brings disease, it brings suicide, it brings AIDS, dying early, and every wicked thing that is of the spirit and nature of death itself follows that lifestyle around. Can I get an amen, somebody? I've written articles on this. I have spoken to doctors. I've consulted with people who are experts and PhDs on this. Let me tell you something. Coming out is, they would be... You know, I'm not, I don't want anybody to come out. I want them to repent and be saved. But coming out, that, now I got completely out. How did I get off the subject like that? I got completely off the subject. But coming out, baptism is like coming out, except it's good. No more closet Christians. We're not supposed to be closet Christians. We're supposed to be the light set upon a hill. Can I get an amen? We're supposed to be the salt that saves the, uh, the entire culture from being rotten, and it's getting pretty rotten right now. It's getting pretty perverse and wicked. But we need to be what the Bible says. And I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians six seventeen, and you're going to say, now what does this verse of Scripture have to do with baptism, Pastor Bill? Well, that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. In 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them. Amen. We need to do that. And be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 
You have to come out and be separate. There needs to be a clear delineation and distinction between you and the worldly lifestyle that you came out of. You know, when I got born again, I didn't want to be with those people I used to hang out with. I didn't want to go to those places I used to go to. I didn't want to listen to that music I used to listen to. And I didn't want to watch the type of television and movies I used to watch. I came out and chose not to touch those unclean things. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I, I, I still fall into sin. I still do bad things. I still say things I shouldn't. I do things every one of us does. But there needs to be a desire to come out from that world that you used to be in. And be separate and touch not that unclean lifestyle. That whether, it's, whether you're into religion, whether you're into uh, perversion, whether you're into greed and, and materialism, uh, hedonism just in general, uh, you, there's a time where you come out from that and you don't want to do it anymore. You might fall into it because you've been very practiced in it and then you hate it and you repent and you, and, you, and you learn more and more to stay away from it and not do it anymore. And that's the normal Christian progression that should be experienced in your life if you're truly born again, if you're truly a new creation and old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Some Christians just don't change. I don't think they're really saved. You know, and the Bible says that we're to pursue holiness. Amen. And as we do that, because holiness creates a greater and more intimate relationship with God because he is holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. He wants us to be holy. But baptism has a part to play in all that. Come out and be ye separate. Come out and be ye separate. How do you do that? By your profession and identification. Your profession of Christ and your identity of being in Christ. And you're acting and living and speaking that out to let everybody know that you've come out and you're separate and you're not going to touch that unclean lifestyle that you used to be a part of. But first of all, we've got to get back and what does it mean to be baptized? You know, in Mark 16, 15, and 16, it says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, everybody say believeth, very important thing, and is baptized shall be saved. Not that he believeth, not, not that he gets baptized and then believes, because then that baptism wasn't legit. See, I was baptized as an infant. And I understand a lot of people do that, but that's really more like a committing your child to the Lord. That really isn't baptism. That's not a witness because the Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel of every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's, and we all know where that is. That's Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. And we can go over to Acts 12 and 13. Let's, well, let's just open up our Bible. Let's go to these. I can quote them, but let's just go to them and let's look at what the Bible says. And let's walk through the Bible and find out what it says in Acts, the 8th chapter. And I'm so glad I got baptized. I got baptized, in, but I got baptized after I got born again. And I think that's just a great thing, and it's a great testimony, and the Lord wants us to do that. And look what it says there in 12. But when they believed, Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God, and in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Now, in verse 12, circle believed and circle baptized. And you should do that in Mark 16, 15 and 16. Circle where it says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Believe, baptized, saved. Believe, baptized, saved. It's so important to understand that that 
chronological order. You believe, and then you get baptized. You can't have a testimony about the fact that you haven't believed yet. You can't have a testimony through bat- baptism as a profession. Baptism is an identification. Baptism can't happen until after you believe because you don't have what baptism is representing until after you believe. Can I get an amen? You can't have a testimony. You can't have a profession. You can't have an identification if you aren't saved yet. So first you got to believe, and then your baptism is saying, I identify with Christ now. I'm saved. I want to make a profession to God, to the devil, to the lost people, to the saved people, to the church. I want everybody to know I belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to me, and I'm born again, and I'm saved now. Let's make it clear. Let's make no mistake about it. No gray area. Black and white. I am saved. I am leaving my old lifestyle now. That is so important. It says, and when they believed Philip's preaching concerning the kingdom and of God, kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both of them. And then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, so Simon believed and baptized. Well, there's three instances right now that I can show you that they were believing and baptizing. Go with me to Acts 19. It's all over in the scripture. It's very clear. You can't be confused about this, and it says over there in Acts 19, verses 4 and 5, and it says, And then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they uh, should believe on him which should come after him. There's believe. That is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized. So circle believed in verse 4, and then circle baptized in verse 5. There we have it again. Believe and be baptized. Let's go to Acts, the 8th chapter. And, we, of course, we know that story. Philip, was, and he went to Samaria, and they believed and were baptized. And then the Holy Spirit led him to go to this Ethiopian eunuch who was traveling to Jerusalem. He was a seeker, and he was a great uh, government official. And he was going, and he was in his chariot, and he stopped, and he read Isaiah 53, 4, and 5, and he's reading those verses, those beautiful verses. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded. For our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. And he's reading those verses. And he says, who can explain this to me? Who are they ta- Who is he talking about? Is he talking about Christ? And this great Ethiopian eunuch, he, this man of great authority, he's a, he was under Candace, and, and she was the queen, and he was one of the high-ranking officials, probably the treasurer of the nation. And he was this person who was seeking, he was going, and he was going to be a worshiper. He was looking, trying to find out about God, trying to figure out these old Jewish prophecies. And it was in the time of Philip. And the Holy Spirit told Philip to go down and to talk to him. I'm going to pick up in verse 26 or in Acts 8. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down to Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is in the desert. And he arose and he went. And behold, a man, an Ethiopian eunuch, and then he was going to Jerusalem, he was a seeker, and he was reading out of Isaiah, and, we, and he inquired, he says, is there anybody who can help me understand what this means? And, and is there anyone, verse 31, and he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Hey, you, come up and sit. You're, 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 you look pretty Jewish. You, probably, you can probably explain this. Isaiah, the prophet guy, why don't you come up and tell me what this means? Oh, yeah, well, Philip, the Holy Spirit already told him to go down there. He's going to meet this guy and minister to him. It's called a word of knowledge, word of wisdom. And then 
he read those ver- these verses, and, and then he got done, and in verse 34, then the eunuch answered, and he said, I pray thee, whom speaketh the prophet of himself or of some other? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, and he preached unto him Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He preached to him Jesus. And they went on their way and came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What does hinder you to be baptized this morning? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Well, you got to take five catechism classes. You got you you to be able to uh, recite, uh, you know, all these different canons. And, and, and you got to be able... Uh, to go through three classes and read four books. No, he says, what do I need to do? He says, all you need to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are glad that God keeps it simple? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. And it goes on, it says, and they, as they came... And they said, see what is water, what doth hinder me baptize? And Philip said, if thou believest thou with thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He said that. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Wow. It's really simple, folks. We just choose to believe in Jesus, to be our Lord and Savior, to take away our sins, and to be born again. Can I get an amen? So, you see, being publicly baptized with water to a Christian is, again, like a gay coming out of the closet, except it's good. It's sad many more, many people in our culture today are more committed to their evil and letting everybody know who they are and what they're about and who they're identified with. And many Christians are with their faith in Jesus. Some people are more committed to their homosexuality than Christians are to their Savior. Isn't that sad? And many are confused in this. And so coming out and being separate. You know, the gay comes out and he separates himself. He distinguishes himself. He delineates himself. He identifies himself. At the risk of people not liking him, How many of you know they receive persecution too? How many of you know that that would not be an easy thing to do? And how many of you know that 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 is you're going against a certain tide of people and you're coming out and, you know, you might be persecuted, you might not be liked, you might have to leave your old friends, you might have to, you know, you might be uh, very politely relieved from your workplace and all these things. But they're willing to do that. They're willing to give it all and go all in for their cause, go all in for their identify, who they're identified with, what as to who they are and what they are. And many times, we're closet Christians. Well, I don't know about the rest of the guys' work. I don't agree with them. I'm, I'm a Christian. Oh, you are? I am too. Well, we've been working together for 10 years and didn't know it. Yeah, you got such a wonderful witness. <laughs> Isn't that sad? That you got so much witness, you could work with somebody for 10 years and not know they're a Christian, and they not know you're a Christian. See, that's why we come right out in the open and say it. Somebody say amen. amen. And you know, Jesus requires us 
to be right out in the open, right out, front and center stage, for everybody to know. Let's go to Matthew, the 10th chapter. Let's look what Jesus said. Very, very powerful. Very convicting what Jesus says here. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. He says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Jesus chose every one of his apostles publicly right out in front of everybody. And they had, to, they had to give the yay or the nay right in front of everybody, the yes and the amen in front of everybody in their public commitment to Christ because he did it right out in the open. He said, it says they did nothing in the dark or behind closed doors, it says in the book of John. It's right out front. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. You, you're ashamed of Jesus? Jesus will be ashamed of you before the Father. Why would you be ashamed of Jesus in front of a bunch of knuckleheads that aren't smart enough to get saved? Well, well, you're the one that's enlightened, not them. You're the one that gets it, not them. You're the one going to heaven, not them. You're the one that's right, not them. Why, why do you care what they think? Somebody say amen. Come on now. You know it's true. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. But if you deny me before men. You see, confession, baptism is a confession and an identification with Christ. I'm going to turn over quickly to Romans, the sixth chapter. And we're going, to, we're going to look at, you can turn there with me if you want. But look what it says in the book of Romans about this relationship in baptism. In verses 3 through 7, it's very clear. And it says, Know ye not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That's dying to yourself, your old sinful way. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. For if we be planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. When we die to ourself. See, there's an identification in saying, I'm with Jesus, Jesus is with me. I've hooked up with him, everybody. I want you all to know it. I want to show you Peter's lukewarm falling away from his profession. Turn with me to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. We're, we're, we're jumping around. We're using a lot of scripture this morning. But just bear with me. It's the word of God that changes us. It's the word of God that we come to church to hear, not somebody's opinions. Matthew 22. Look what it says. This is very powerful. See, Peter was, Peter was like, man, he was just like all out. Peter thought, he was all in. Peter, you couldn't have convinced him otherwise. But let me tell you, when you renege on your confession, when you relinquish on your confession, when you back down from it just a little bit, it's a downhill slide that can take you further than you want to go, cost you further than you want to go. And, I, and I'll tell you what, 
it is, it is a very bad thing to not have a strong profession of faith, a strong witness, a strong identification with the people around you. It is a very dangerous thing. Turn with me. Matthew 22, verses 33 through 35. We're going to look at something. This is a very, very powerful portion of Scripture. Matthew 22, and look what it says. <clears throat> Thirty-three, and it says, "And when, and I think I have the wrong scripture, and I'm going to have to look quickly to see where I missed that." And for some reason, I don't recall. But let me tell you the story, regardless of where the scripture is. Peter denies he would ever deny Jesus. Admit twenty-six. Thank you. I rarely do that, but every once in a while I do that. 26, Matthew 26. 33, I wrote down 22. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Do you really believe that you will never be offended by God when God says you need to put that down or you need to do this or you need to come do this? We can be so easily offended. But Peter answered and said, Though men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this night before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me three times. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. I tell you what, Peter was just sure he would never be offended. But then all of a sudden in the night, in the garden, They came and they arrested Jesus. And all the Roman officials showed up. And all the Sanhedrin officials showed up. And all the guys with the swords and all the guys with the authorities and all the guys with the power showed up. And they arrested Jesus and they took him to trial. And all of a sudden, Peter's confidence began to shrink. Look what it says in verses 57 and 58. And it says... But all, this was, excuse me, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him from afar off. Wow. How many of you know there's a lot of people that are following Jesus from afar off? They used to go to church. They used to have a great testimony. A lot of Christians like that. They don't go to church anymore. They don't tithe anymore. And they certainly aren't serving anymore. They're certainly not in fellowship anymore. They don't pray. They don't read their Bible anymore. They still consider themselves followers of Jesus, but they're following afar off. I've even seen it where people that used to sit in the front row end up in the back row, and then they end up leaving. And slowly they work their way to the back. I'm not sure why that is. But I'll tell you what, it's not good to follow from afar. See, he used to follow from right next to Jesus. How many of you know he wanted to be with Jesus all the time? Peter wanted to be his right-hand man. And Peter said, I'll never be found. I'll, I'll never not follow. And then all of a sudden, when the time got difficult, how many of you know when time gets it, when, when those people at work look at you like, you're not one of those evangelical Christians, are you? Oh, please spare me. 
And don't even talk to me about your stupid Bible because I do not want to hear it. And don't invite me to church. And you're going, uh, uh, I think I'm going to change the subject. I was going to witness. How many of you know you can be intimidated? Peter was intimidated. And suddenly, you know, at work, you, you're right up next ready to witness somebody. Then all of a sudden, you're kind of falling from afar. Oh, oh yeah, I go to that church. I'm not one of those crazy people. Believes the Bible. You know, don't don't confuse me with those folks. You know. uh, I don't give my money there. I you know I'm I'm not one of those not you know. Following from afar. See, and you know if that's not bad enough, the problem with that is you've just stepped from one level of walking with Jesus to a lower level. Now you might still be considering yourself a follower. But because you're not willing to make that open profession before man. Jesus said, if you'll not confess me before men, I'll not confess you before the Father. Because you're afraid. All of a sudden, Peter's profession, his confession went from, I'll never leave you, Lord, to, oh, man. They got this guy in chains. They're going to beat him. They're going to take him and put him in the prison. They're going to take him to the court. And and I don't think they're going to be fair with him. I'm going to follow I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to follow from afar. (laughs) There's a lot of Christians like that. See the way the wind's blowing. Is it safe to go out there yet? And it's just at work, you know. So here he is. He's following from afar. And you know, it's, it's a downhill slide, right? The minute you compromise, all of the anointing, all the blessing, all the protection begins to fall off you because you're going in the wrong direction. God's not going to endorse your life when it's going the wrong way. So he'll let you go that way, but he'll rescind his anointing and blessing and strength from you. Our strength is from the Lord. So he starts following from afar. I've seen people follow from afar at church, at the workplace, with their family. You know, husbands, I, you know, I don't want to go to church with you this Sunday. Ah, uh, we won't. And this Sunday we got this reason, and this Sunday we got that reason. And, this, and three months later, they haven't been in church. And, you know, this is a reason, and that's a reason. And I'm just going to follow from afar. I'm, I can still see Jesus way off there someplace. I'm still got a little thread of connection way off yonder here where I'm living, not really walking with God. How many know people like that? But see, be careful, because look what happens next. Turn to verses 69 and 70. And now Peter, and this, this is the same night, now Peter sat without in the palace. And a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. Aren't you one of those guys that used to run, go around with Jesus? See, first of all, he's saying, I'll never forsake you, Jesus. Next, he's oh, following from afar, kind of quiet, not saying anything, a little bit of a closet guy. And now somebody confronts him, aren't you one of those Christians? But he denied him before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. Now he'll deny with a lie. Everybody say, deny with a lie. lie. See, now, first it just started out, and man, I'm with you all the way. Secondly, it was compromised, and it was from afar, really not committed. And now it gets worse. You come down, and you're down to this level. And now you're going down to this level. Now you're just not... Fallen from afar, now you're denying, and now you're lying. Now you're a liar. 
you're a liar. You're not true to yourself. You're not true to your God. You're living a phony life. You're living a lie life. The lie life. It's the low life. It's not a good life. And he denies him with lying. And then look what it says in verse 72. Another person comes up to him. And and when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. So another person identifies Peter. And look what he says. And again, he denied him with an oath. You know, it's one thing to deny with a lie. Now it's, I promise you, I swear to God, on a stack of Bibles, I'll make an oath. I don't know the guy. Wow, he went from this level, now to this level, now to this level, now he's way down here on this level. See, it's all because he's compromising his profession, his confession of faith, his identification before man, who is professing as his Lord and Savior. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. But it gets even worse. Let's keep reading. And he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, surely thou also, now a group of people came, art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse And to swear, saying, I do not know him. Now he's cursing his Savior. Now he's swearing in his denial of Jesus. It starts out just from following afar. Well, what does it hurt? I don't have to be there all the time. I don't have to always be part of it. I don't have to be serving and giving. I don't have to be a committed guy. I don't have to be one of those ministry help. I don't, I don't need to. I can follow from afar. I can be just as good as them. I can be just as connected with Jesus from afar. I don't have to be there all the time. I can follow from. Can you really? It's not what our Bible teaches us. Somebody say amen. I'd rather follow from real close up. I want my arm linked with Jesus. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. Not until the end of the age, but I might leave him. See, Jesus never left Peter. Peter left Jesus. You see, your profession, when you relinquish, when you renege, when you lighten up, when you compromise, when you backslide, all of a sudden, you start losing control. You start operating in fear. It's so different than the bold, strong confession of a true believer. See, the devil wants you to renege on that. He wants you to give up your profession. Lack of confession before men always progresses to becoming a more evil position. Satan does not want us to confess, especially through baptism. In the early church world, you, many people who got baptized were put to death for it. To confess by baptism in the early church often meant that you're going to experience martyrdom. See, Satan hates confession. Why? Turn with me to Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. Look at what it says in Revelation 12, 
verses 10 and 11. Why does the devil want you to compromise? Why does the devil hate confession? Why does he hate and try? He sends people to intimidate Peter to fall from a fall. Uh, it gets him to deny with a lie, deny with an oath, deny with cursing. Three levels of denial. And why does the devil want to do that? Because he doesn't want you to have a confession. He doesn't want you to have a profession. He doesn't want you to stand out. He doesn't want you to have an identification. He does not like confession because confession is so powerful. Look what it says in Revelation 12, 10, and 11. And it says this in Revelation 12, 10, and 11. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The devil does not like you overcoming him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. The word of your testimony is I'm being baptized. The testimony that you have is an identification with Christ. When you get baptized, it is an identification. It is a testimony. It is a way to have your, your, your personal witness before all men. Can I get an amen today? See, the devil doesn't like it. It says, we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb. That's what Jesus did. His blood was shed. We overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Because when you testify, it's a powerful thing. Now, I'm going to compare it to a wedding ring. You've heard me do this before, but I'm going to go in more detail today. You see, when you wear a wedding ring, it says, I am identified with my wife, and my wife is identified with me. It's a testifying that I am married. Not mar- wearing a ring is a testimony that I'm not really committed. It's a little wink saying I am open game. It's a little innuendo, I'm a compromiser. It's a way to say I have no identification with my spouse. It's the Ashley Madison crowd spiritually. Ooh. Y'all know who Ashley Madison is. It's the website where they, they advertise, if you want to have an affair, we'll keep it serious. Kind of like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Kind of like what happens in D.C. stays in D.C. too, I think. But anyway. The Ashley Madison spiritual crowd doesn't wear their wedding ring. And our wedding ring with Jesus is being baptized. Somebody say amen. It's letting everybody know, dude, this is who I am. Like it or leave it. And I'm going to make it front and center stage so nobody has any confusion about it. Did you know when you come out with that powerful of a testimony attitude, the sinners don't pick on you, they back down. I always just say, you know, when, when, if, if people try to talk spiritual smack with me, like, oh, yeah, you're a Christian. I said, I'm willing to die for what I believe for. How about you? Oh, well, yeah. That's because you don't even know what you believe, knucklehead. You're so ignorant. You don't know anything. I study the Bible every day. For hours, I've got tens of thousands of hours of studying. I know what I believe, and I know it's right. And I'm not going to let somebody who doesn't know anything act like they know more. Like they've got something that I don't have. I used to have that deadbeat, go-to-hell, no-good, worthless, rotten life that they've got. 
And now I've got something better. And I know it. And nobody's going to make me think otherwise. Somebody say amen. I've done, been there, done that. Bought the t-shirt, threw it away and burned it and left it. It's worthless. Don't want it. See, with the wedding ring, not wearing is testifying that I'm, a, I'm not committed. I'm a compromiser. I'm open game. Wearing your wedding ring says, back off. I'm taken. I'm committed. I'm not interested. I'm making identification with my spouse. Wearing your wedding ring is a rebuke to the unfaithful, promiscuous, deceiving. And testimony has the same effect on the devil. Devil, I'm committed. Watch me get baptized, devil. Watch me get baptized, devil. Watch me get baptized, lost person. Watch me get saved, all angels in heaven and demons in hell. Watch me get baptized because I'm making my stand and you aren't going to move me off of it. I'm identifying with a death, burial, and a resurrection of God Almighty come to earth in the form of a man who took away my sins and I owe him everything. I am bought with a price. I am not my own. Compromiser, get away from me. I am in all the way with this thing. Somebody say amen. That's what being baptized is. See, I find this, the wedding ring keeps a man on track and out of trouble, and it protects and reminds him even when he is tempted. Our baptism does the same thing. You know, the guy that wears his wedding ring, you know, he's not, he's not going to go, you know, messing around with it because they're going to see that wedding ring, and they're going to say, you're married, dude. What are you doing? A man, if he, he goes to look at pornography or something like that, he's going to notice when he picks up that magazine, he's going to see that wedding ring. Oh, yeah. If I even think about doing something, Jesus says, if you think and lust in your heart, that's adultery. And it says adulterers have their place in the lake of fire. And then when I, when I see that wedding ring, I think, I remember my wedding day. When I see the wedding ring, I think of the wedding ring that I gave my wife and is on her finger. When I see that wedding ring, I can remember it saying, until death do us part. When I see that wedding ring, a whole host of things comes up about my commitment and my identification and my exclusiveness to a person. When I get baptized, I have a point in time where I have a commitment I have an exclusiveness. I have identification to a person. Somebody say amen. Amen. And that person is Jesus Christ. See, in 1 Peter 3.21, it says, Baptism saves us. Now, not by the taking away of sin, but listen to this. Baptism saves us, not by the taking away of sin, but like a wedding ring in that it is conviction to our conscience. It says it, it gives us, it cleanses our conscience. Baptism keeps our conscience clean and clear because we know we didn't hide out. We came out. 
We can look ourselves in the mirror and look ourselves in the face and say, I didn't hide out, I came out. And God says, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. That's what baptism is all about. And I can look myself and be honest with myself and be honest with God and have real faith because I don't have any fear and trepidation and second, second guessing and double-mindedness about who I am and what I've done and whose side I'm on and what I have declared and who I belong to. I don't have this going back and forth. I'm confused whether I'm a Christian or not. I put my stakes down deep in front of everybody. I am committed and sold out and all in to this thing. That's what baptism is. Then there's wishy-washy people. Uh, can you be, I, can't, I, can't, I can still be saved and go to heaven without getting all wet, can't I? Maybe if you can stay the course with your double-mindedness. Maybe if you can stay the course with your disobedience. Because we're commanded to be baptized. I'm not saying baptism saves you because I know baptism does not save you. Any more than somebody sprinkling a little water and saying, none of that stuff saves you. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. But it sure does help keep you. Somebody say amen. Amen. Baptism help keeps us, keeps our conscience clear that we're not this double-minded, undercover, in and out, closet Christian, doesn't know who they are or what they're really about, afraid, following from afar, might may, may deny him one day, may stand for him another day, you know, you get into that double minus, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The Psalms 112 man, it says, his heart is fixed and he changes not. I want to be fixed and change not. How about you? Anybody here today want to be fixed and change not? See, we are the body of Christ. We are God's bride. Israel was God's bride. We are Jesus' bride. Revelation 19, 7, 8 says the bride has arrayed herself. I'm going to read that. Verse of scripture, look, and it's very, it's very awesome. It's, it's about cleanliness, purity, righteousness, Revelation 19, 7 and 8. And it says this, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him. For the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. That's about the cleansing that Jesus does. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. We are God's bride. We need to wear our wedding ring. See, in Jeremiah, God's people caused spiritual, they were in spiritual adultery. You can go back to Jeremiah and you can read all about it. And, it, and it's terrible the things that took place with God's people in the Old Testament. And God's people, they were his bride. Look what it says. I'm going to just read out of Jeremiah, that third chapter. Look what it says. It's, it's an amazing verse of Scripture. Jeremiah 3, 8, I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, and I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but, wanted, but went and played the harlot also. God likened his people under his wife, and whether they were adulterers and whether they were true, and that they were true to him. And you know, when we won't wear our ring, when we won't go through baptism, then we are not being a true spouse to the Lord God that we're married to. How many of you want to be a true and holy spouse to Jesus? Amen. Amen. I believe that's important. I believe baptism is really an important thing, as, we, as you can probably see from what I said today. 
And I believe that it's good for you to be baptized. It keeps you strong. How Peter denied Jesus and how he must have regretted. How many of you think Peter later regretted that horribly? No doubt Peter felt horrible and regretted it. But I believe if Peter would have been right up front and says, I'm one of them. See, later on, you know, Peter was, I believe Peter was crucified upside down. So he must have got that profession thing right. <laughs> but uh, he, w- he became strong. I want to encourage you today that as we go through the baptism, say, well, I'm not being baptized, Pastor Bill. What was all this for? I, I, I've been, I mean, I'm not being baptized. I've already been baptized. You know what? It's good for you to be witnesses there because we're there to celebrate their baptism. Amen. We're there to support people in their baptism. We're there to esteem and acknowledge and honor that act of baptism. We're there for the purpose of saying, way to go, way to stand up for Jesus, way to be in the face of the devil and not follow from afar. It's just like going to a wedding. You go there to say, we are witnesses, we are supporters, we are celebrants with this, we are participants in this, we are here with you in this, this covenant that you're making between husband and wife. We are here for this covenant between you and your God in baptism and you willing to tell everybody about it. Just like a wedding, you go down the street with the cans behind the car and honking the horn, letting everybody, we just got married, everybody. I just made my commitment to Jesus through baptism, making it known for everybody. Why don't you just go get married in a closet where nobody can see it and don't tell anybody about it? See, of course we wouldn't think about doing that. But our marriage to Jesus, well, you know, I don't know if I want to tell anybody about that. But boy, your marriage to your husband, wow, man, you were nuts. You, 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 you wanted to invite everybody. You wanted the, the wedding bells to sound and the car going down the street with the horn honking and the, and the cans rattling behind it and, and let everybody know. And we're just married written all over your car. And every, we want everybody to know and... But Jesus gets, well, I receive you, Jesus. <clears throat> Hopefully nobody finds out at work. Now, I know nobody here is really like that. But, you, you know, how many of you know people like that? I don't think anybody in our church is like that. I think we all in this church are pretty good witnesses. I think you can look to your left and your right, and you see people that are proud to be children of God and will witness for Jesus. Amen. But how many of you know we need to go and we need to celebrate those who make that commitment? That's what baptism is today. It isn't about going out there and doing it alone with nobody watching. It's all about getting behind them and giving them a big high five. Way to go. Way to be all in. This is awesome type of thing. Amen. So we're going to close out here. Uh, Baptism is at 2 o'clock. Instructions are on the back table. Invite and they're in the bulletins, excuse me, invite somebody to come to the baptism. Turn to your neighbor and say, invite somebody to come to the baptism. And that includes you. Make sure you invite yourself and you show up. Amen. You know, we do this once a year and we make a big deal out of it. Don't miss it. Come on. We put a lot of effort into this, so don't miss it. Be there or be square, right? So we want everybody to come. Now, we understand if you absolutely can't. We, we understand. We're not trying to get anybody, you know, upset at us. But we, we do want people to come out. And I'm going to ask one last question. Is there anybody who hasn't signed up? And you just think, you know what? 
Pastor Bill, I think you convinced me. I think I want to get baptized. Or you got baptized when you were a baby. You got baptized when it really didn't mean anything to you. He said, you know what? I finally get it now. I want to get baptized today. Anybody here that just wants to get baptized? Anybody that you aren't signed up, but you just want to get baptized? Anybody here that just heard the message and, and that's all right? I see one. I see two. Anybody else? And everybody who's going to get baptized, I want you to come down. As I dismiss the congregation right now, I want everybody who's planning on being baptized, come down to the front, and we're going to have a little bit of meeting. So let's stand up. Let's pray. We're going to be dismissed. We'll see you all out there at 2 o'clock. If you've got any setup to do, if you're part of the inflatables, if you're part of anything else, uh, come on out and uh, be there at 1 for setup. And otherwise, we're, we're just... Uh, We'll meet you out there at 2. We'll do the baptism shortly after 2 when we think most everybody's there. And we'll go down to the water. And then we'll come back and we'll eat and celebrate and have a good time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads.